Hey, y'all. My name is Blue. Um, <laughs> I had a, the amazing opportunity and like blessing to go to Russia the last two years. Um, this last year, I went with Brent and Ileana. Uh, I don't know if you know, they're both just the amazing resource leaders, and um, it was just really amazing to go with them and grow with them. Uh, we went out, and we met up with, in St. Petersburg with Jake and Shelley Leffler, um, just two amazing people that really just sacrificed so much to be out where they are, and um, you'll be working with them if you go this year as well. Um, while we were there, we just helped out Jake and Shelley. They were getting plugged in with some local churches, so we just went and helped them, and just little things like helping them set up for service, but also going out and just reaching out on the students around their campuses, um, showing them how we reach out on our campuses around here, um, just trying to show them that the method that we use. Um, another amazing thing we did right there, Ben Stone and Eric Unruh <laughs> were out there, and uh, Brent, Tom, and I uh, spent so much time just hanging out with them and with the guys they had already reached out to, and just being able to be there with them and um, show the guys they're reaching out to what they're talking about when they talk about community and like this brotherly love or sisterly love that we have. Um, and just being able to, for them to experience that and see it in action was really big and that's like a huge support for them. So if you're all able to go out and do that, it's just like an incredible way to support the missionaries that are already out there and sacrificing so much, which is really cool. Um, one awesome thing that happened while we were there, um, I think the first week we averaged like three or four hours of sleep a night, but uh, <laughs> um, we were with, um, Tom and I were with Eric Henry the first week, and every morning and every night we prayed, um, and it was just an incredible experience, um, just seeing the power of prayer. We prayed for this guy named Theodor. Um, <clears throat> his name's really hard to pronounce, we just called him Teddy. Uh, he, uh, we prayed for him for a solid week, and then about three days into the second week while we were there, we went over to his house to pray for him, and because he was sick, he ended up giving his life to the Lord while we were there. It was just an incredible experience, and he's still hanging out with Ben. And so it's just, yeah, you should go to Russia. I rode in the van on the way to that, so does that mean I went? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, anyway, um, <clears throat> that was funny. Anyway, um, so last spring break, I had the pleasure of going to Park Hill, Denver, um, with an amazing team. It was, if you know them, me, uh, Ryan Russell, Nathan Chartier, and then Duncan Chance. And um, this trip will definitely look a lot different because this was back before um, the the church had really, like, taken off. Um, and so what we got to do – so, okay, I'll backtrack. So um, that week we were serving Matthew and Alora Culver. They're part of the Urban Islands Project. And – I mean, the word that's just coming to mind um, for me right now is just servitude, because, like, I thought I knew how to serve others until I met Matthew and Alora, and it was just, it was so great. Um, pretty much what the whole week looked like was we each got assigned a school to serve, essentially, and so um, I was with Nathan in a school, I think it was in South Park Hill. I don't know, but anyways, we just got to help out the teachers with whatever they needed done, and I remember... I think the best part of the trip for me was Nathan and I moved um, probably 200 boxes of books for the librarian, and it didn't it didn't seem to us like it seemed pretty tedious. But I remember after she came up, um, the librarian came up to us and was like, "You guys, 
those have been there for six months, but it's like by the, by the end of the day, I'm so tired and I just, I wanna say like how much we appreciate you helping, um, helping us. And so that was a really cool opportunity. I was like, hey, like if you're interested, like there's this church that they're, you know, trying to build in the community. And we had, at the end of the week, um, we had a barbecue and anybody um, that we had pretty much ministered to throughout the week got invited to this and she came and, and that was super cool. Um, and what else? What else? What else should I? What else? Do, what else you want to know, Nate? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, so <laughs> sorry, I'm a little bit tired. Um, so on it was September 23rd or September 24th. Um, Matthew and Alora had their first um, actual church service at a place called the Dahlia Campus, which is like this amazing rec center um, that was just built near his house and it was like it was huge and that was just fantastic so that's pretty much all I have go it's going to be fantastic thanks Megan um, yeah so uh, last year Jacob Graham and I had the pri privilege of uh, leading uh, Moses project and uh, guys so what you just heard of these missions trips is uh, what we dedicated a week to pray for um, Moses Project is really, uh, the idea is uh, lifting up the team spiritually. And if you don't know, if you've never been on a trip either abroad or if you're just like really into, if your trip is a hardcore focus on reaching people and talking about Jesus, it can be spiritually draining and spiritual attacks happening. And so um, that was part of why we as Moses Project were getting together was to pray um, and continually lift up each and every day of every moment um, to for the trips and for the team members. So we would pray specifically for the events that were going on because we were in communication with them every week. Um, we uh, prayed over the t teammates specifically because we knew like they needed our prayers. Um, they needed to be lifted up and um, bathed over and that there's such a huge emphasis on prayer in the Bible and the necessity of it as people that are going, they need that team behind them. Um, and so it was just an incredible experience. It stretches all of us. Um, if you've never longer than an hour in prayer it is going to stretch you but guys I encourage you to really go um, see how the Lord can use you he doesn't want someone who is eloquent in their words or like in their prayers like he's a very simple God and wants to use you um, to be praying and uh, stretching you in your faith and in your walk with him um, but also in having you fight for those that are going abroad and so um, there don't worry there's going to be teachings Kaylee is already starting to plan and is going to do an amazing job. I know that. Um, she's just a very powerful prayer warrior. And so if you're even looking just to experience how to pray on a deeper level or just get to know God on a deeper level, like definitely go. Um, if you can't go on the trip or even if you can and you feel like you need to stay back and like learn how to really emphasize your prayer life, like definitely do that. Um, yeah. So I'm going to pray and then Jacob will come up. Um, yeah. So, God, I just thank you for bringing each and every one of us um, here tonight to Outpost and to um, gather and worship you, God, and to hear just, Lord, more of who you are, more of your names, God, your, your righteousness, Jesus. Uh, may you open our ears and our hearts to receive more um, learning about you, God. Um, and, Jesus, I just pray over Jacob that uh, you anoint him with um, the words that he has been preparing and um, following your spirit. God, just so that, um, yeah, Lord, that he will say exactly what needs, what our hearts need to hear um, from you. So, 
um, blesses us tonight, and yeah, in your name, amen. Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's the shirt. What's up, guys? Hey, man, we're alive. We live in America. It's a good thing, right? It's a good day. We are going to um, we're going to finish up our message series on the names of God tonight, and um, we're going to be talking about the Lord our righteousness tonight. Um, the Hebrew of this is Sidkinu. Okay, I may say that several different ways tonight. I'm talking about the Lord our righteousness, all right? <laughs> Jehovah Sidkenu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, have you guys enjoyed this series, learning about the names of God? It's been cool. Next week uh, is going to be Missions Week, so we're going to hear from a rockin' missionary named Josh Nicholas. And then after that, we're going to start a message series on Colossians, and Brent is going to lead us through that. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's get going here, all right? Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord of Righteousness. Here's a quick review of um, the Names of God series so far, okay? So we started off talking about Jehovah. Uh, who remembers what Jehovah means? Just shout it out. Who is Jehovah? He's God. That's close. No, that's right. Yeah, Yahweh? Yeah, Absolutely. Jehovah Yahweh, he's the I am, he's the self-existent one who reveals himself progressively. He's the self-existent one that reveals himself, okay? We talked about his nature, his character, and his relationship toward mankind. So his nature is eternal. His relationship to mankind is, uh, actually his character is faithful, and his relationship to mankind is redeemer and Lord, okay? Okay? Uh, throughout the series, we've talked about several of the ways that he progressively reveals himself. The first thing we talked about is he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. Second thing we talked about was Jehovah Jireh, the, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. The next thing we talked about was Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And today is the Lord, our righteousness. So what we're discovering in this series and what we've discovered is that Jehovah, Jehovah is uh, the name of God, uh, particularly pertaining to his relationship with mankind, and he is redemptive. So each of these ways that he reveals himself, he's revealing things that he wants to do for his people. He wants to do for his children. We talked about how when the will of God is not being done in somebody's life, that person needs to be redeemed in some way. When something's not going the way that God wants it to in your life, he wants to redeem that area of your life. And we found out that he, he is interested in redeeming every part of your life. The way that he does that, ultimately, is through his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about how Jehovah is salvation, is actually, uh, is actually Jesus. So Jesus, in the Hebrew, is Jehovah is salvation. So Jehovah, uh, his final reveal to mankind was Jesus, the Lord uh, that came to the earth in person, the Lord with us. And the Bible says that he was the Lord, our salvation, okay? So everything that we talk about, all these redemptive names of God, all find their finality in Jesus Christ. He is the consummation of everything that God wanted him to do. And guess what? He lived over 2,000 years ago, so we live in this age called the age of grace. We live in this age where 
because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can live a brand new kind of human life that's never existed before. Adam and Eve were created by God, but they did not have the Spirit of God on the inside of them. After the law was given, these people had to make sacrifices and get right with God in that way. And that, we are different than that. We are living in the age where Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, lives or can live on the very inside of us. We are the temple of the living God. We're the temple of the living God. You guys familiar with the Ark of the Covenant? Some of the interns are probably going to laugh at this. You are the Ark of the Covenant, basically. You, the, the, the Spirit of God resided right there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You are the modern-day Ark of the Covenant. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you if you call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about how the Lord is our righteousness tonight, all right? Jehovah Sidkenu. Let me start out with an example story. So um, before I moved to Colorado two and a half years ago, my wife and I started a college ministry at Northern Kentucky University in the Cincinnati suburbs, Kentucky side, of course. And uh, after about three and a half years of leading that college ministry, we became the pastors of our local church. So going to Kentucky, period, we had never experienced any ministry before, so we were pretty new in ministry in general. And then we became pastors of our local church, congregation of about 50, had a great time, learned a lot of stuff. But uh, I really wanted to, my heart was drawn toward young adults ministry. And so as I began to meet people uh, around, uh, you know, our denomination and things like that, that were doing young adults ministry, I really wanted to check it out. So I got the idea one day to go uh, to, to, to call on this youth pastor slash young adults minister that was a part of a ginormous church, okay? ran a massive young adults ministry, and it was really effective, really cutting edge. They were getting a lot of people saved, and I was like, hey, I want to go see what that's all about. So my wife and I uh, go up to the Pittsburgh area, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, we, we visit this church. On Saturday night was the young adult service. We went to that. It was, it was rocking. It was amazing. I think like 15 people gave their lives to Christ that night. It was ridiculous. And then uh, we were invited to attend um, the Sunday service, too. And I'm talking about a big church, okay? So if you're, not that big churches are better than small churches, but if you're in ministry, you want to reach as many people as possible. So, it, so to me, at the time as a young minister, I was like, man, these guys have got it going on. Brand new facility, thousands of seats in the auditorium, top of the line, top of the line tech, technical stuff amazing worship team, and uh, this, is the, this is the service that we're going to go to. Not only that, but we, we were invited by one of these, you know, the youth, the youth pastor, the up-and-coming sort of associate of the church, and so we had basically VIP access. So we show up on Sunday, um, we meet the youth leader and his wife, we chit-chat a little bit. The service starts, we're still standing in the, in the foyer uh, talking. And uh, we're, the, we're the last ones in there. And pretty soon it's time to, to go into the auditorium. And so we open the doors and, you know, production is happening. I'm talking thousands of seats in the auditorium. It's black. The music is blaring. And uh, there's just, it's just a crowd of people, right? And so when the doors open, I hesitate. And I'm like, this is, this is my thought. I pastor a church of 50. I don't know really these guys very well at all. I'm not sure... If I, if I belong in this, in this camp, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm supposed to be here to meet the, the senior pastor who's going to give the message today afterwards. 
I'm not sure that I really belong. But the associate pastor, the youth pastor that I was with, this is what he did when the, the doors opened. He, without even seeing what we were doing, he marched straight down, straight down the aisle, straight toward the front row. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, okay, this is different. This is cool. And so we follow him uh, down, the, down the front row or down the aisle to the front row sit next to the pastor's wife, and I'm talking about production city is going on. And I'm like, man, this is nuts. And then I thought to myself, man, I could, I could maybe get used to this. This is pretty cool, pretty cool having this kind of access. Um, I use this picture uh, to illustrate the following. So because of my relationship with this youth pastor that I had, I was given position and access that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I was treated like a minister of the gospel, I was treated like one of the guys, I was brought to the front row, and I was given access to everything that this church had to offer, and then, you know, after the service, we spoke with the pastor afterwards, it was great, but I had never experienced anything like that, and to me, it was a huge deal that I wasn't sure I was really worthy of, does that make sense? I was like, man, this is kind of intimidating, but the associate who I was with marched straight down to the front like he knew what he was doing, like he belonged, okay, so when we're talking about righteousness, um, tonight, I want us to think about this example a little bit. That youth pastor, he gave me position and access. And when we have righteousness with God, when we understand the righteousness that we have in Christ, the reason that, the reason that God, uh, the, that Jesus provided righteousness for us is so that we could have position and access with the Father. Jesus has made a way to be a, made a way for us to have access to things that we wouldn't have been able to on our own. Okay? When the doors, when the doors open, Jesus walks, when the doors to, to heaven open, when, when there's a need, Jesus walks straight through the doors, straight all the way into the throne room, sits down by God the Father, and gives his request. And because, he, he does that because he's righteous. And the righteousness that he has imputed to us through the sacrifice of his son, the righteousness that he wants us to know that we have, is that he wants us to follow him right down the streets of gold, straight into the throne room. He wants us to sit down by him, by Jesus in heaven, which is right next to the Father. And he wants us to be able to lean over and give our requests. That's the kind of righteousness that we're talking about. He wants us to see ourselves as righteous because he gave his life so that we could have that. It's amazing. Okay, so think about that as we go through uh, the word tonight. So why is there a need for righteousness? Well, because without it, we're separated from God. There's a need for righteousness in your life because if you do not have righteousness, I'm talking about a true right standing with God, a spiritual right standing with God, you have no access to God. God requires righteousness because he is righteous. He's perfectly holy. He is the life source. And he cannot, he just can't associate with things that are unholy or unrighteous. And the state of us being sinful, us choosing to define good on our own terms, makes us sinful and it makes us really disgusting in the eyes of God. He loves us, but because he is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous, he cannot have fellowship with somebody that's not also in that state. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He does love us. But just because of how amazing and how powerful and how pure and holy and righteous he is, he must fellowship with beings that are the exact same. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they lost that status. They had it. God created them 
in a righteous condition where they could fellowship with God. But when they sinned, they lost that righteousness. And because of that, they lost access to the presence of the Father. So the worst thing that happened in mankind's sin is not that evil came into the world or that, you know, privilege was lost or anything like that. The worst thing that happened when mankind sinned was that we lost access to the Father. We lost our relationship with God. That's the worst thing that happened. And I submit to you that the best thing that could ever happen to you is to realize and to find out and to regain that righteousness that you lost. That's the best thing that could happen to you, to regain the righteousness. Because when you regain the righteousness, you regain the position and you regain the access and you regain the relationship with Almighty God. And I'm submitting to you today, we're going to continue to go through this, that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. I believe that if you've given your life to Christ, you are righteous in God's sight. And I want you to know that as well. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you can be righteous in God's sight. And you can have that relationship with God. So... There, why is there a need for righteousness? Because without it, we're separated from God. We're free to follow our own selfish desires, of course, but <clears throat> we're separated from the true source of life. We need righteousness because the end of our selfishness is destruction. All right? So let's, re- let's get into this text here. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. The context of Jeremiah's prophecy here is that the children of Israel have finally gone into captivity in Babylon. They've been exiled. They do not live in their homeland anymore. They don't live in the nation of Israel. They've been exiled to another nation, the nation of Babylon. And Jeremiah was a prophet sent um, to, to speak truth into this situation, all right? This is what the Bible says. Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise, uh, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. So Jeremiah is prophesying about a future day when his people will um, call on the name of the Lord their righteousness, when they will have that righteousness that God gives them, okay? It's a a day to come. He's prophesying that this is going to be a day to come. It's not this day that he's talking about, but it's going to be a day to come. Tonight, we're going to look at what that righteousness is. We're going to look at how Jehovah became our righteousness, and we're going to look at at what it means to us, okay? So what righteousness is, okay? It sounds like, perhaps, uh, to you, maybe, just a word that is like, why why does it need to sound so long and, and, and churchy? What does righteousness really mean, okay? Righteousness is this. So God is righteous, God himself is righteous. God is righteous. If you want to know what righteousness is, God is, all right? His righteousness in the Hebrew means justice, rightness, righteousness. Righteousness could be defined as God, God's kind of rightness. So that's what we're going to look at it as. Righteousness is God's kind of rightness or correctness. It is the, the very righteousness of God, all right? So this is really important what we're about to what I'm about to say here. God is first and foremost spiritually righteous. His very being is righteous, therefore he acts righteously on the earth, okay? So who God is is righteous. His spirit, if you will, is righteous. Right? 
So because of that, he does righteous deeds. We should make an important distinction here. The righteousness that God desires and, and requires, the righteousness that God desires and requires is a spiritual state of righteousness. Okay, So he's, he's not interested in people that can do the right thing and dot the I's and cross the T's and do what their mommy tells them to do. He's looking for people that are spiritually righteous. He's looking for people that are spiritually righteous. And if you live on the earth, <clears throat> you've probably sinned at some point, which means you've broken God's law, which means you've done what you wanted to do, regardless of what God wanted. And if you've sinned, you have become unrighteous. Okay? What God is looking for is spiritual righteousness, and none of us in our own strength have it. Not even Mother Teresa, not even the Pope. None of us have spiritual righteousness on our own. And yet, this is the righteousness that God desires and requires for us to have a relationship with him. That is a huge problem, right? What is righteousness? It's rightness. It's God's kind of rightness. It is not just doing righteous acts, because any criminal can hold the door of the bank open for an old lady before he robs the bank. So it's not just doing a righteous act, right? The righteousness we're talking about today is not works-based righteousness. It is a heart-based, spirit-based, nature-based righteousness. God is looking for you to have a right nature. And in your own strength, you cannot, will not, can never come up with that, period. Okay, that's the state of the earth. That's the state of humanity. That's the state that we're in on our own. Strong's Concordance <clears throat> defines righteousness as the condition acceptable to God. There's a minister named E.W. Kenyon, and he said, righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt or shame. The ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt or shame. This is righteousness. This is righteousness. Okay? Um, what would that look like? Let's just think about that briefly. To stand in the presence of Almighty God without the sense of guilt or shame or condemnation. To stand in, his, in God's presence. When you have real righteousness, you can really do that. When you have spiritual righteousness. I want that so bad. I want that. All right? It's... I would suggest that this is mankind's greatest need. Yes, a relationship with God. But God wants us to be able to stand in his presence without feeling down on ourselves. He wants us to see ourselves as a son or a daughter. He doesn't want us to have guilt when we come to him. He wants us to know that we're good with God. Most of humanity's problems, perhaps all, come down to the fact that mankind does not think that they're good before God. And so we strive and we try and we come up with religion after religion to try to figure out how to get to God, but it's futile. It's useless. It doesn't work because the problem is a spirit, a nature that is unrighteous. We need to solve that problem. All right? So God requires righteousness of mankind. <clears throat> Like, I, like I've already said. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17 says this. 
For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another name for the devil or Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? The rhetorical question is answered by, there's, there's no comparison. There, the, no, there's nothing. They have nothing in common. Verse 17 says, Therefore come out from, from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean, and I will re- no unclean thing, and I will receive you. This passage um, guides us as to how to have fellowship with God. All right, come out from among them and be separate. And um, <clears throat> it also alludes to uh, how how God is going to go about that. <clears throat> Separation from unrighteousness needs to be achieved for us to come to God. Okay? Let's, let's go into the next point, okay? So the first point is what is righteousness? It's God's kind of rightness. We don't have it on our own. The second part, the point is this. Jehovah himself became our righteousness. He became our righteousness. Let's look again at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. It'll probably be up on the screen, but I'm going to point out a couple points, okay? The first several words say, behold, the days are coming. Okay, so he's talking about a time that's not when he's actually talking about it. He's talking about in the future. It's going to come. And then the last sentence says, this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So he will be called our righteousness, Right? It's pointing to a different time in history. This prophecy is about about what God will do. During Jeremiah's life, Israel as a whole was unrighteous. Jeremiah is saying that in in this day that he's talking about, God will raise up a righteous king and his righteousness will be attributed to us. So let's talk about atonement again real quick. I've mentioned that a couple times in this series. Atonement is making reparations for a wrong, okay? In, In Bible terms, atonement is is God, or, or in the Old Testament, it's mankind making a sacrifice in order to make things right with God. That's what atonement is, making things right with God, doing something to do this, all right? Sin must be atoned for. <clears throat> so Isaiah prophesies about this atonement in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 11, talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So it's talking about the Messiah, the Savior, being the the sacrifice of the atonement in order that we may be declared righteous. Okay, atonement was made for our sins. Jesus was the sacrifice that was made. And because of that, we are justified. Now, what does justify mean? Justify means to be just, to be righteous, to be made right in conduct and character, and to declare righteous. So when the Bible says, my righteous servant Jesus shall justify many, he says that Jesus will make things right. He will declare you righteous. All right, keep tracking with me. Another scripture here. We're just talking about how Jesus did this, how Jehovah became our righteousness. 
Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This is talking about what was required in the Old Testament, the way that it used to be. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about you and me. The Bible says that through Jesus' sacrifice, through one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If we receive Jesus' sacrifice as the penalty for our own sin, then the Bible says that we have been made perfect forever and we are being made holy. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about a rightness of spirit. We're talking about a nature change. We're talking about how humanity, because of sin, has a fallen nature or an unrighteous nature. And we're talking about how in the Lord our righteousness, our nature can literally change from unrighteous to righteous. Who you are, the deepest part of you on the inside, your spirit, can be changed from unrighteous to righteous. Which means that you can now have a relationship with God. And that must occur or you cannot have a relationship with God. That must occur or you will constantly feel condemned and guilty and you will be trying to make a way to God on your own. It must occur. Jesus did that for us. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If you're in here uh, tonight, you don't have a relationship with God, uh, or you, you, know, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know you're doing your own thing and you haven't come over into God's way of doing things, I just want you to know that a sacrifice has been made to make you right with God. That's what I want you to know. Jesus is the one that's paid that sacrifice. A sacrifice had to be made. Everybody's a sinner, and somebody had to pay the price for that. It was Jesus. So you do, if you don't have a relationship with God tonight, you can have one because Jesus paid the price for you. All you have to do is receive it. If you're a Christian, this is what I want you to get out of tonight. I want you to get out of tonight that you don't have to go through life as a Christian, banging your head against the wall, doing the same old sins, having, you know, having problem after problem after problem, and, and feeling guilty about it all the time and not knowing if God's going to answer your prayers and wondering where you're at with God. God wants you to know, he wants you to know, if Christ is your Savior, that you're righteous in his sight. He wants you to know that he truly sees you as a son or a daughter, a loving father that sees you, that he loves you. He, see, he sees you, and he, he just is in love with you. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with you. If you're his son, if you're his daughter, if you've received him, he doesn't want you to feel that guilt and condemnation. He wants you to know that you're right with him. He wants you to know that peace. And he, furthermore, he wants you to act like it's true. He wants you to ask him as if it's true. He wants you to expect him to come through for you as if it's true. He wants you to move about on campus sharing the truth of God as if this is true, as if there is nothing between God and man anymore, as if God sent Jesus to make everything right. And now the only thing that's standing between mankind and God is simply a decision to receive Jesus. That's what God wants. The only thing that's standing between man and God is simply a decision to receive Jesus. His payment of Jesus Christ was so perfect that there is absolutely no power of sin left at all, period. The only power of sin that there is is the power that we give it. 
And I say to us tonight, let's stop giving in and let's believe what Jesus has done. He's made us right in his sight. Let's receive it and let's start acting like it's true. Okay? Righteousness. Righteousness. So let me ask this, okay? So we've gone over a couple scriptures here talking about how a sacrifice needed to be made for sin and about how Jesus made a perfect sacrifice and about we're being made holy, and about how he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. What should we get out of these things? What do these scriptures tell me? First of all, these scriptures tell me that our sin was absolutely horrendously evil. Okay? It's important to realize this. Rebellion against God, choosing our own way, is, is, is really... <clears throat> it's... The, it's the pathway to insanity. If God, is, if God is life, if he created your life, then to rebel against him and to go your own way is completely insane. He is life. If you're not following God, then you're nuts. Really. Sin is absolutely horrendously evil. It's it's. It's awful. It's us rebelling against perfect love. God is perfect love. When we say, nah, I'd rather do things my own way, as, as a creation, we have a God that created us. And as the creation to say, nah, I'm going to do it my own way, that is evil. We need to know, you need to know that sin is just straight up real bad. Okay? For it to take the life of the Son of God to atone for it, it had to be bad. For it to take the life of the Son of God to atone for it, it had to be bad. What do these scriptures also tell me? They also tell me that God loves me immeasurably. God spared no expense in paying a ransom. He went all in. It cost him his most prized possession. He must value me extraordinarily. Sin was awful. And we deserved every bit of the punishment that has been due us. We deserved every bit of the consequences of sin. However, God stepped in and sent his own son. Pure, pure, holy, righteous. God himself was allowed to die on our behalf. He must love me immeasurably if that is the case. The other thing that these scriptures tell me is that the penalty for my sin was paid in full. There, there is no more penalty to pay, right? If you're a Christian and uh, you find yourself in the state like, hey, man, I made some mistakes and I'm, I'm trying to make up for them right now. You, there's, there's nothing more to make up for. Just fall into your father's arms, repent, say, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing, and receive forgiveness in the sacrifice of his son, he paid it in full. Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect and so complete that I have been completely ransomed and completely redeemed. The power of sin has been so annihilated that I can have a relationship with God Almighty as if I never sinned. The power of sin has been completely destroyed forever. That is why you can have a relationship with God as if you've never sinned. That is what God wants. All right? Our righteousness cost God something. I'll look at this scripture real quick. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that in Jesus, who became sin for us, because of that, he did that so that we could become God's very righteousness. We said righteousness is God's kind of rightness. We can be righteousness. We, we can be righteous like that because of Jesus. So let's talk about what our righteousness means, okay? For one thing, it doesn't mean that we will personally never sin again. Righteousness, when you receive God's righteousness, it doesn't mean that you will never sin. It means that your nature is righteous now. It means that you have been brought from darkness to light. It means that your spirit has been united with Almighty God. And if your spirit is united with Almighty God, there can be no sin there. That's why you can have a relationship with God. Because in your spirit, in your nature, you have been made right. It also means three other things. What does our righteousness mean? We have peace with God. We can come to him boldly. And we can be holy. <clears throat> Let's look at some scripture here. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The significance of this to me and to you. In terms of my relationship with the one that matters the most, I have peace. The only pressure I now have to perform is this, what pleases God. If I have peace with God, then I don't have to perform in my life. That's the significance of having peace with God. That's the significance of understanding your righteousness. The only pressure that we now have is what pleases God. What can I do to please God? The second thing that our righteousness means is that we can come to God boldly. We can come to him boldly. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is written to Christians. So it's talking, if you have a relationship with God, you can come boldly. Remember how I talked about going to that huge intimidating church and the dude that knew what was up. He just marched, marched straight to the aisle, down the aisle, straight to the front. God wants that kind of response from you. He wants you to go straight to him. He wants you to know because there's peace there between you and him that you can come straight to him and ask him what you need. Get this. <clears throat> we, don't, we won't show it up here, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? It means that the righteous have only to turn their head left to get God's ear. Hey God, hey God, I, I need this. That's what it means. The righteous have only to turn their head left to get God's ear. The Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He wants us to know that we're righteous, and he wants us to come boldly into his presence, into his throne room. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Lastly, we can be holy. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Bible says in Jehovah, our righteousness, we were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. All right? What's the significance of this to me? Well, I don't have to be bound anymore to sinning over and over. Righteousness in Christ has set me free from being a slave of sin. I'm now a slave of righteousness. God has changed your orientation. You are now leaning toward doing it God's way rather than leaning toward doing it your own way. That's what God has done in Christ. It's really important as Christians that we realize this because we can act like nothing ever happened in our lives. We can act condemned, we can feel guilty, and we can act like we're bound by sin. It's really important to realize, it's really important to get the revelation and to receive it as truth that you are not the same as you used to be. You're a new creation, and now you're righteous in God's sight. And that means a whole different level of possibilities are available to you. It's really important to realize that. Our position in Christ doesn't change when we get born again, but our knowledge of that position can change. And I I want our knowledge of our position to be up to the level where the Lord thinks that it is and says that it is. We are righteous in his sight. Pretty cool. We're going to review the main points here. Can I get uh, Jessamine to come back up? Or the worship team or whoever's going to do that. Quickly, here's the, here's the main points that we went over. First of all, we talked about what righteousness is. It is rightness. It's God's kind of rightness. We talked about how Jehovah became our righteousness through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He was the atoning sacrifice, and now he is our righteousness. And We talked about what it means. It means that we can have peace with God, that we can come boldly into his throne room, receive the things that we have need of, and it means that we can be holy. We don't have to be bound by what used to bind us anymore. We can be holy. Cool. So, uh, just want to repaint that picture of walking up to the stage, if you will. <clears throat> I think sometimes in life we, we can be intimidated by by life and um, I picture you know when I was thinking about this message that experience came to me and I picture that you know when I was walking in behind that youth pastor into that massive auditorium I pictured that guy like as Jesus he, and he went straight to the front he knew exactly what he was doing he knew he was accepted he knew that he had a place there in the family and so we went straight to the front row And I was following him, and because I was following him, I got the same privileges that he had. I think that's a great picture of righteousness and what Jesus has done for us. He is beckoning us to come. Come with me straight toward God. I want to go straight to the throne room. I've got a place there. God is my father. You are my, the Bible says, brother or sister. I want you to come. I don't want you to be intimidated by what's going on. I don't want you to feel less than. I want you to feel like you belong with God. 
we have position and access through Jesus Christ. I want us to, to realize that in Christ, we, can, we are sons and daughters worthy of being in the presence of God. I want you to think of yourself like that. That's, that's why he paid the tremendous payment that he did. That's why he sent his own son, because he wanted more sons and daughters. He wanted representatives of Christ on the earth. And for us to be an appropriate representative of Christ, we need to know what's ours. We need to know whose we are. We need to act like that's true. All right? couple more quick thoughts. Right standing with God is the most important thing redemption gets us. As a sinner, we are wrong before God, but as a saint, we are right before him. Our nature has been changed. We are a new creation now. The Spirit lives on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, and we are truly children of God. Our conscience can and should be clear because this most important relationship has been made right. Pretty amazing. Can you stand with me? For our response, um, I just see that there's a couple categories uh, of people probably here. Um, first is those that have never received Jesus. Okay, so you've never said, Jesus, I need you. Can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner. I turn from my, doing things my way, and I want to go your way. If you're like that, this is what I suggest that you do. Admit that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Decide to turn from that sinful lifestyle to God. Okay? So just admit admit what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of. Admit, Just admit it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm a sinner. And then decide. Make a decision to turn from that. Make a decision to turn to God. Take God at his word that if you receive the sacrifice of his son, you will be made righteous. Just take him at his word. That's what we call faith. You just got to take him at his word. Right? Uh, Second category of us in here is this. Those that have a relationship with God, but it feels as though you are anything but righteous feels like you you don't measure up or whatever like that. Supposedly, you have a relationship with God. You've asked for forgiveness, but you just don't feel righteous, okay? You don't, you don't think that you measure up. God wants that to be gone from your life. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel loved, right? So if you're in either of those two categories, uh, as an act of faith, this is what I would like you to do, Okay? <clears throat> I want you, um, just like just like I did in that huge church where I was following Jesus down to the place of a favor and acceptance and family, the place of blessing and honor, I followed him down to the front. I want you to come to the front, and I want you to kneel down, and I want you to receive, uh, receive the righteousness that God wants you to have. If you're in either of those two places, come now. If you don't have a relationship with God and you would like one, or if you're a Christian and you feel anything but righteous, come to the front and receive your righteousness. Come on now, and we'll pray together.
Your place is not back in the shadows. Listen, your place is not back in the shadows. It is right up where God is, in his presence and in his family. Your place, listen to me, I'm talking to somebody. Your place is not back in the shadows. Your place is right up in his presence, in his family. Take your place. He's offering it to you. Thank you so much to those that have responded. God is doing an amazing work in your heart. Remember, it's a work in your heart. Remember, it's a work in your heart. Just receive, just receive everything that he has for you. He has righteousness for you. He has love. He has right standing with himself. He, he takes you exactly as you are. And he just doesn't want his kids to be standing back in the shadows. He wants them at his feet. He wants them hugging his neck. He wants them sensing his presence and feeling his love. He wants their, their needs to be provided for. He does not want them back in the shadows. He wants you right up in his grill, right up in his face, where he can see you and smile at you and love you and let you know that you're his and that he's never going to let you go and that he's going to provide for your every need. He wants you in that place, not back in the shadows. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Let's... Uh, for those of you that have responded, I mean, that's that's definitely enough. I'm just going to provide a prayer that you can pray if you would like. Um, and I'll, I'll say it sort of slow enough for you to pray it, okay? But just, just receive God's righteousness. Just receive God's righteousness. If you'd still like to come forward, there's, there's definitely time you can. And I suggest if you're, if you're just in the... In the audience still, I suggest that you also pray this prayer and pray for those that have responded tonight because God's doing something significant and real in their hearts. It's something that can never be taken away. And um, amazing things are happening tonight. So here's our prayer. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for doing things my own way. I know it's wrong this day forward, I want to do things your way, God. Thank you for caring about me so much that you sent your only son a pure and spotless sacrifice for me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for me. I receive you now and everything that you have to give me. I want to be in your family. I receive your righteousness. I receive what you say about me as the truth. You are more precious to me than anything else in my life. I will never again think of myself in a way that is not what you think about me. I will see myself as a son, as a daughter. Thank you for making me new. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness, God. Thank you for making me right in your sight. Thank you for taking away the guilt and the shame 
Thank you for taking away the guilt and the shame, God. Thank you that I'm loved by eternity. I'm loved by the Almighty. I'm loved by the Almighty. I'm loved by the maker of heaven and earth. I'm loved by the creator of my heart. I'm loved by him. I'm loved by him. I'm loved by him. My heart is whole now because of your love. I've been made right in your sight. There's nothing that could take me from this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's real. It's true. Thank you, God. You have all of me. You have all of me. You have my life, God. You have my heart. You have my thoughts. You have my emotions. You have my decisions. You have my family, God. You have my job. You have my career. You have have all of me, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing what I could not do on my own. I have you now, and that's enough. Thank you. I love 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 you. You guys can stay uh, up front as long as you want. People can continue to come up front if you desire. We're going to go into some worship now.